Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. She said, certainly you are one of them, for your accent betrays you. This woman had a conversation with the Apostle Peter, who denied the Lord, but the accent for which he spoke was forever connected to him. So I have the same question for us, or actually, I have this question for every waitress that sees us on a Sunday morning. Does she wait on us and listen to us speak and say, certainly, he or she is one of them, for the way in which they speak betrays them and connects them to the Lord Jesus? Are we like Peter in that we deny Jesus with the way that we speak? Or are we like Peter that the way in which we speak is connected to him? One of those things is potentially true. But today we continue in part two of James 3, 1 through 12, in which that he just dealt with our words. James tells us that our words are like a horse that is to be bridled, like a ship that needs to be directed, and like a forest fire waiting to happen. That's what he says. Now, he elaborates on the third part of that, the forest fire waiting to happen in these verses that we see there today. And you may say, I get it. You can use your mouth to get into trouble. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt and came on back. You probably admit that that's, that's been you. But I want us to be careful and not look at our mouths as a morally neutral friend. Our mouth is not a morally neutral friend. It's not like that at all. On one hand, it's a little true that it could be morally, <laughs> have a nature like that. Could be, right? But James tells us generally, our mouth is not going to be our friend. It's not going to be our friend, and it is not likely to have the best of intentions. So we ought to watch our mouths. And we ought to do so, particularly because of our, our words. What do they do? According to James chapter 3, verse 1, they provoke judgment. They provide direction for our lives. And then two more reasons that I promise to get out of my pocket and bring to you today from these verses, in which we will see reasons three and four, that you ought to watch your mouths. And we see that beginning in verse, uh, we'll pick up reading in verse five. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So we should watch our mouths because uh, your words provoke judgment, provide direction. But number three, they proceed from demonic motivation. They proceed from demonic motivation. So James gives us kind of a anti-prosperity gospel warning here in the verse. What do you mean by that? Well, prosperity preachers are always like, hey, speak life. Speak your future into existence. James would say, if you decided to speak your future into existence, you would find yourself in a house that was burning down with you and your family. 
So by whatever, by all means, do not speak your future into existence. Don't do it. Why? Because your tongue proceeds demonically motivated, most likely. So don't do that. Don't do that. Your words are powerful and like a forest fire waiting to happen. So be careful with them, lest they burn down your life. And notice James doesn't, he doesn't use like a, he doesn't like, use like, no, you love people like, 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 nope. He doesn't use a simile here, right? Your tongue is not like a fire. Your tongue is a fire. Even worse. It's not kind of like it, it is it. It is it. One commentator explained this verse saying that every sin committed in this world finds an ally in your mouth. Finds an ally in your mouth. It says the tongue is one of our body parts, but affects everything else. So the tongue is set among the members, staining the whole body. So first we see the, uh, bre- uh, the, the depth for which our tongue affects us. It can affect everything else, and it has the capacity to mess everything else up in our lives. So that's the first part that we see here in the verse. It, set on, it sets all of our body for all of our life. Let's put it like that. Look at that in the verse. Does it say that? I, I believe it does. All of our body for all of our life. And we are known by how we talk. The way it might mess up all of our body for all of our life. Do you see that there in the scriptures? You're not going to outgrow this problem. You're not going to do that. So, as we seek to apply this text, if our tongue has the propensity and the capacity to hurt all of our body for all of our life, according to the text here, well, how do we, how do we apply this in our situations? Well, there are two groups that seem to struggle with their tongue the worst. And it's kind of funny that James kind of hints at it here. The, like, so all of our body, uh, we get that, right? Our tongue can mess everything up for you right now. And for the entire course of your life. So there are two groups of people that struggle with this the most. Those that are the youngest among us and those that are the oldest among us. Because, for, for, let's, let's take the first ones. You all know what this looks like, right? You got a little kid, they're at a birthday party or Christmas, they open a present, and they, they open it, and they, they look disappointed automatically. And they're like, I've got two of these. We've already got two of these. And we're like, say thank you, say thank you, come on. Like, oh, get excited. Oh, oh, wow, great, you needed another one of those. Yeah, yeah. And then you pull them aside and you say, little Johnny, Everything you, that comes into your brain doesn't have to come out of your mouth. You understand that, right? Come on, son. What, if you think it, you don't have to say it. You need to develop what they call a filter between your brain and your mouth to where it just doesn't just fall out. I know you got three of those. But you can't just go say whatever you think. And that's the first group in the course of the life, right? The beginning of life. We have to train people. I mean, they're just born like that. You have to train them. You have to train them. And then you have to retrain them. And what does that retraining look like? 
Well, now, I'm not caricaturing every kid, and I'm not caricaturing every older person. However, I've pastored and lived long enough, and I've seen it, that there are people who wrongly believe that they're in an age that they don't have to have a filter either. And they go, and here's what this sounds like. I have been in this church long enough to be able to speak my mind. I have earned the right to speak my mind because of how long I have been here. I'm sorry. You haven't earned any right to violate this text. And you'll never, never get old enough to where you don't have to watch what you say. It, it's semi-cute when kids, when the littlest among us do it. It is really ugly when the oldest among us do that. When they go, hey, I'm old enough. I don't care. My, I, I ain't got that much time. Clock's ticking. I'm on my way out. You know what? I'm going to say whatever I want. Just like Johnny's, little Johnny's young tongue, our old tongue is still a fire. A world of unrighteousness set on fire by hell. It's a big problem. So the older you get, shouldn't be the thinner your filter. It should be the thicker your filter. You ought to get a better filter the older you get, right? We're not trying to grow into Christian immaturity, are we? No. We're trying to grow into Christian maturity to the likeness of Christ. That's what we're trying to grow towards. So the oldest among us, and I'm not saying they're not, right? I'm just saying you've seen them. You know them, right? You've, been, you've lived long enough. You've seen them. But the oldest among us should be able to control their tongues the, the best and the most. Theoretically, right? It ought to be the best and the most. Because you're growing into maturity and you're seeing clearer and clearer further just how much propensity you have to sin. Right? That's what growing closer to Christ would look like, sounding more like Him, right? Not barking off whatever you think. You know... I am the father of three little kids, and at one point in time, we had three little kids under the age of four. And I'm praying for a certain day to come. I don't know what day it is, but I, but I, I pray. I probably ought to fast, right? Real, quick, real fast. Uh, and, and beg the Lord for a certain day to come. And here's what it is. Uh, the day that they can be, that I can turn my back on them. The day that I can turn my back on them. And they can be trusted to go unattended and to not destroy their life behind my, or my house behind my back, right? I pray that day would come, right? And, and, and if you have young kids, you pray that day is going to come. And if you have older kids, you praise the Lord that that day has come, right? That you can turn your back on your kids and like, well, they're not going to, we don't have to call the fire department. Like you praise the Lord for that. And I pray that that day is going to come for my little children, but unfortunately, that day is never going to come with my words. It will come with my children, by God's grace. It's never going to come with my words, to where I don't have to watch them, to where I can just let them flow and let them go and speak uncritically, like as in critically up here, right? I criticize it before it comes out and I don't say it. There's never going to be a day when I don't have to give attention to and watch my words. You see that, right? With the kids, you might be able to turn your back on them in the room. With your words, you're never going to be able to turn your back on them. You're never going to be able to let them go. They're not safe to be left unattended. 
They will destroy everything and everybody in your life if you just let them do what they want. You will be in trouble. Or you have been in trouble for doing this. It says the tongue is a fire. And who lights it? It's set on fire by hell. And the word that James uses here is one, and you all all are very biblically literate, uh, the Gehenna, literally the Valley of Hinnom. That's that's what he uses here. So this is the ravine or the the valley outside of Jerusalem, and you all probably know this, but it's where the refuse and filth and criminals were burned and their bodies were deposited. It is the town dump. And because the trash keeps flowing, they burn the trash in Gehenna, and the fire keeps going. James uses this expression from his half-brother, Jesus, to describe the final resting place for every person who rejects God. So if someone is not a Christian, where does it end up? At this, well, the picture he uses here is an eternal dump that always burns and the fire never goes out. That's the picture that he paints of hell. So what's hell like? Well, it's kind of like being in a dumpster lit on fire that always goes. That's kind of what, like a modern adaptation of what, what, what's hell like? Well, it's kind of like being burned in garbage forever. And he says, he uses that picture, right? And, and, and they would get that picture. They would get that understanding, the original audience. And he's saying that that burning dumpster forever is kind of like what's your, what lights the fire in your mouth. Fire on the mouth, run, boy, run. Right? That's where the fire comes from. So... I'll, I'll take James's picture here and say, hey, when you, don't watch, when you don't watch your words, what your breath smells like to someone else is hot garbage. You see, the smoke of hell and the stench of garbage comes out your mouth. And it burns them. That's what he says. One commentator noted that Gehenna was a maggot-infested, foul-forbidding place where the fire, smoke, and stench never ceased. And your mouth's kind of like that. If you don't, watch your words. James uses that illustration here. See, the devil makes a, a particular use of our tongues when he tempts us to lie, to slander, to gossip, to speak our mind unfiltered. That's what he does. He says here in verse 7, For every kind of beast, bird, and of reptile, and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. One pastor put it that he takes us to the zoo, shows us all the animals, and says, All of these can be tamed. But not your mouth. Not it. Right? Like you could, I, I, theoretically, you could take a lion and have it as a pet. I wouldn't. But like you could, right? theoretically. Uh, but you can't tame your mouth. And you may think for a moment, wait, 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 wait. 
So you're giving, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're giving us four reasons why we ought to watch our mouths or tame our tongues. And here we are in James chapter three. And what does he say? No human being can do what? Tame the tongue. So here we go. Mission impossible. Watch your mouth. You really can't. Is that what, is that what he's saying? No. So I'm not giving you four reasons for what you can't do here. Because that's not the point he's making. That's not the point that he's making here. He is saying this to Christians. So no, I don't want us to feel like we're being scolded here in James chapter 3. And he's coming and saying, watch your mouths. It's like the sermon's like soap on every pew. Here, open your mouth. Here's some soap. And there's no hope. But you see, the very instance, existence of this text is for people who need to know the propensity of their words to sin and can do something about it. Because what he begins to do in the next verses, in verses 9 through 12, he's saying, you're a Christian and you don't watch your mouth? No. But what we do see here in verse 7 is the divine necessity here, right? Human beings left to themselves cannot tame their tongue. They cannot. It doesn't say it can't be tamed by God kind, but by mankind. Cannot be tamed. It's untamable. But for us, and for you, if you're a Christian, you should watch your mouth because your words provoke judgment, they provide direction, they proceed from demonic motivation, but your words also prove inconsistent with your identity in Christ. You see that? Here's where you see that, verse 9. With it, talking about our mouths, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. They not be so. It's inconsistent. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit for us. So in the context of the verse, no human being is able to do it. The default setting for humanity is to say whatever they think to an extent, right? And here's, here's the issue. The, the natural setting is to have the smoke of hell and the stench of garbage on our breath. That's the default setting of humanity. But he writes this letter to Christians who are elect exiles in a land and they don't belong in. And he elects exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, all that, etc. Right? So they're living in a place that they don't belong in and they should be able to tame their tongue unlike the people of the land that they don't belong in. So because of the grace God has given us, a Christian should talk like, wait for it, a Christian. A Christian should talk like a Christian. No human being is able to tongue their tame their tongue, or tongue their tame if they want, but God is able. God is able. We need divine help in this struggle. The good thing is we have divine help in this struggle. The reason why I can tell you to tame your tongue is because you're a Christian. That's why I can tell you that. 
I can tell you to do that. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Behold, the new has come. So you're a new creature and you ought to speak like a new creature. The change that the Old Testament told us would happen in the New Covenant, that God would remove your heart of stone and put in there a heart that responds to Him and a spirit that moves you to keep His commands, the new change of the New Covenant ought to show itself in our new tongues. And if you're a Christian, you have this big change that's happened to you, you ought to talk differently because of the big change. You ought to have different words. And James already told us, that if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, his religion is worthless. However, the opposite is true. If you have a living faith, you show it by a bridled tongue. A living faith and a bridled tongue. It's not a dead faith, it's a saving faith, and we show our saving faith in our words. He speaks mostly negatively about it to highlight the truth that if you trust it in Christ, you'll show it by the way you handle your mouth. Part of that comes naturally because you're a new creature. There'll be an immediate change. Why? Because of faith that doesn't change your life won't save your soul. I hope you heard that somewhere. I hope you saw that somewhere in James, that a faith that doesn't change your life won't, sa won't save your soul. So there's like a, a natural change that happens in the Christian. So th that's the first way that change happens, is that God supernaturally and sovereignly does it. Secondly, Second way that change happens is he tells people who are new creatures, who talk like they're not, to repent of the inconsistency with blessing the Lord and cursing their neighbor. He says a Christian who doesn't watch their mouths shouldn't be a thing, right? It's not like a command, thou shalt. No, it's like this and this, Psh, no, <laughs> absolutely not, right? Christian, Slanderer, no. Apples and oranges. Those things are not the same. And the problem here in verse 9 and 10 is like, with the same mouth, these things happen. Do you see that? The same mouth, that's a problem. So Christians who don't speak with a controlled tongue, it aren't, that, that's not a thing. That's not a thing. First, why? Because of our relationship with God. It's utterly consistent with what God has done. You can't talk any old way you want. You've been given your mouth to bless the Lord, right? So the Lord, so you're under his authority and you bless him and you're in the family. You're under his authority and you're in the family. Two reasons why you ought to talk differently. Because of those things. But the problem is, is that the same mouth that sings praise at church goes out and curses people, literally to speak evil of here. So he narrows it in, narrows the focus to where we don't actually have to question. So what is he talking about with how we use our mouths? What's he mean by that? What's the problem? What, what might we be doing with our mouth that we shouldn't be doing with our mouth? Well, what, what is it? It's slander. It's slandering people. We speak evil of someone else. And there's the inconsistency here. One moment you bless God. And then you look at someone who the scriptures tell us is the image of God, and you, you slander or curse them. So you bless God one moment, and the next moment you see somebody who's made in the image of God, and you don't treat them like they're in the image of God, made in the likeness of God there in verse 9, you run them down with your mouth. How am I, this is talking about Christians being Jekyll and Hyde with our mouths. 
One minute, praise flows. And the next minute, we're harsh with our kids and laying into the waitress who got our steak wrong at Longhorn. That ought not be. And I'm not telling you this from up here to down there, to out there. I'm telling you this as a fellow struggler. A fellow struggler. There are myriads of pastor's kids who grow up and go, I don't want any of that mess because of that guy right there. I don't want that mess because of that fella and the way that he's talked to us at home. So this is a battle that currently wages that I do not speak as sweetly to my children as I preach sermons on Sunday mornings. So there is a great need to repent right here. And not only right here, but right there as well. Because I, I've went and made friends with waitresses. I mentioned the, a hypothetical waitress at Longhorn. Uh, but I, I've talked to waitresses and people in, in these places. And I go, uh, and you know, we, we, we joke about it, but Sundays are their worst days. They hate Sundays. <laughs> they hate them. <laughs> Why? Probably Christians. I, I, I go with that. Right, the church crowd, right? That's probably why they hate it. Church crowd. They hate it. But we, we repent of these things because we're under the authority of the Lord and we're in the family. So when we, we look at it, it goes, we, we curse people and we, we bless the Lord and we curse people who are made in this image and your eyes are open to that. You go, oh no, oh no. He said it ought not be. So you know what? It can't be in me. So that's how a Christian reads this passage. He goes, it ought not be. And you go, oh, it can't be in me. Right? So you have to set your mind to the response of the text like this. When he says, it ought not be, you say, woe is me. And it ought not be in me. That should be our response here to this. Why? Because what God has done in you and it, what, he's, what he's done in me. Verse 11, he says, does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? No, we know it doesn't. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Yes, the question he assumes is no. Does the salt water and, and, and fresh water mix? <laughs> no, absolutely not. The corrupting nature of the salt water just pervades and it's just salty, but less than it would have been before. That's how that works. So what if you're a Christian who doesn't control your tongue? What if this, like, because I want us to look at this, this is at our house, mailed to us individually, not to hypothetical people or the person that we know, us. And he looks at it and he says, it's like a fig tree producing olives. What do fig trees produce? Anybody know? Figs. Figs. They do. So what they are produces something. Produces what they are. And he's saying what you are ought to be producing Godly words. Godly people ought to have godly words or they're not really godly people. Christian people ought to produce Christ-like words or they're not really Christian people. I can't make it any 
clearer with my mind that that's what he's saying. If, you're, if you don't talk like a Christian, why are you claiming to be a Christian? Because if you're a Christian, you'll, it'll produce itself. It'll, it'll show up. It'll show up. So we hear this, we say, woe is me, and oh no is me, and it can't be. That's how we respond to this. So, but what if there's a Christian who doesn't control their tongue? Let's think through that. And the fig tree's producing olives when it comes to this issue. What do we do? Well, one thing could be true. Think along the lines of Romans 7. The Apostle Paul is describing the distance between the Christian, where he is, and where he wants to be. That's what he's describing here. He's saying, nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He's saying, I have all of these holy desires, but my follow-through is very, very weak. That's how we know he's a Christian because of these desires that the fig tree does, it produces figs and he doesn't bear olives, right? Like the people that aren't Christians don't go, you know, I wish I could speak more godly. I wish I could. They don't. They don't want that. This sermon would be irrelevant to a bunch of non-Christians in that regard, right? Watch, watch your mouth. You watch your mouth. Don't tell me to watch my mouth. But no, I hope for better things involving salvation, right? When you, when you try to do good, evil is right there with you. And, and I don't know about you, but I see this in my own experience, that becoming a Christian, life got so much harder after that because there was a battle that took place between what happened on Sunday and the very next day. There's something that happens when Christians go to sleep and they wake up the next day after church. Monday morning. And the war is on. And who I want to be and who I am begin to fight each other. That's what Paul says there in Romans 7. For I desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. He says, for I, and we'll, we'll apply that to that, right? So let's, let's use that to our speech. For I do not say the good I want, but the evil I do not want to say is what I keep on speaking. Does this sound like you? then you're a Christian who struggles with their speech, with their, their words. I want to say it. I struggle saying it. I need help. Paul's like that. Romans said, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Oh, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the conclusion he comes down on. And then he understands that the battle is going to rage. There is a victor, and it is Christ. He comes down to his Savior, and he goes, Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he admits that the battle's going to keep running there in Romans 7. So, th that could be you. That could be you. In that case, this scripture, James 3, is motivation for you to repent. Motivation. So what do Christians do? They respond to God's word and they turn and go the other direction than they were going before. But maybe it's not you in Romans 7. Maybe you are a person who slanders people with their words because you made a transaction with a preacher to clear your conscience several years ago. 
and your faith isn't living. And the reason it doesn't come out of your mouth is because what you really are actually does come out of your mouth. And your words actually reveal that you're not a Christian. That's a possibility. It's not that you're not, maybe, oh, it's not that you struggle with your filter. No, you're not a Christian. That's a possibility here. That's what he's showing us in these, that these are tests of living faith and a faith that actually works. Well, a faith that actually works changes the way that you speak. And if and you're somewhere in that process of changing the way you speak until you die. Or you're not a Christian and your faith is dead. And can dead faith save a person? No. No, it can't. You need to watch your mouths because your words prove inconsistent with your Christian character. How do we do that? It needs to be taken very seriously. Very seriously. He says your words are a forest fire ready to happen. And with it, you bless God one moment and you run people down the next. And we have taken this far too lightly, potentially. Far too lightly. The culture, they don't watch their mouths and they just say, I'm authentic. I'm authentic. Right? That's what they shoot for. I'm authentic. I'm real. Not two-faced. But us as Christians, we have to watch our mouths and we do so because we've been changed. How do we... Who, who shall deliver us from the spot of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But we know, and, and there at the end of Romans 7, the battle rages. The battle goes on. It says, I know that there is nothing good in my flesh. That's what he says. We have to treat this with seriousness. If you had an issue with, let's say, say for example, you had an issue with pornography. And you came to me and you said, how, how, do, I, how do I get out from under this? Well, I'd say the issue with this, need, it needs to be exposed. It needs to be exposed, repented of, and you need accountability to help you walk it out because of the pull that it has on your life. And we would look at something like pornography and go, yeah, that, that makes sense. But what about this? What if you have a problem with your mouth? And, then, and, and you can't filter your words and you can't hold them back and you've provoked your children to wrath and you argue with your spouse and you gossip and you slander. And Same thing. Same thing. It needs to be exposed. It needs to be exposed. Because the things you, say, you think you say to your kids... They hear. They hear. And they won't forget. You say the things you say to your spouse, he or she hears it. She won't forget. He won't forget. But the issue is we struggle in the dark and we die in the dark. We die in the dark. But I hope for better things for us. So what do we do? We expose it and we get accountability to walk it out. So we need to grab somebody just like that this sin is just as serious as someone struggling with lust and pornography in the back room of their house. Like we grab it and we go, I'm struggling with my words. And God's not pleased with it. And I don't want to be producing this because I know I'm something else. I don't want to be producing this because I'm something else. I know the Lord saved me. I know he's changed me, but, but I'm struggling with my words. I would encourage you to 
to get to grab an accountability partner like you would with some other sin. Say, I, I need help with this. And I need, I need you to help me walk this out. I, I want us to have a continued conversation where you, you check on me and I check on you and we walk this out together. Because I have this desire to say what I want to say to please the Lord. But I find it right there that the, the, the struggle to give them a piece of my mind or gossip or slander. And I don't want to live like that and that's not who I want to be because it's inconsistent with who I am. You will not defeat sin of our mouths by accident. You will not. You will not accidentally do it. It can't be let go. It can't be glossed over. It sets the trajectory of our lives, has demonic motivation in it, right? Because we are in our flesh still. But it's not who we are. So we need help. So we need accountability in this. Secondly, we need not necessarily to respond to a scold, but to behold. I say that from Isaiah chapter 6, in which that Isaiah gets this vision of the Lord. He said, I, I saw the Lord, and he was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he saw smoke and these living creatures that hid their faces from him and cried out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he looks at that and he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am, amongst, I am a man of unclean lips. And I am amongst a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I would venture to say that this is where it starts. That we behold the Lord in His glory and we come away going, oh, woe is me. It can't be so and it can't be in me. And you know what the Lord did to him? He cleansed his lips. He took a tongue from the altar and cleansed his lips in Isaiah chapter 6. And if this is something you struggle with, behold, God is holy, in which the sinless beings hide their face in his presence and, and, and can do nothing but cry out with their voices that he's holy and the whole earth is not fit to, to hold his glory. So what we do is we respond to a vision of the Lord with the repentance of our speech. That's where it starts. And then we grab our neighbor and we say, I want to speak differently because I'm not who I'm speaking like. That's what we do. And what's at stake in this? There is, well, there's, poor, there's a spring that is our mouth and there's the fresh water of the gospel that is to be flowing and pouring out. And we bless the Lord to him and we bless him to our neighbor by telling them the good news of the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for sinners. And we use that same mouth to slander. And that ought not be so. And there's gospel consequences at stake for Christians who can't control their tongues. 
If you're not a Christian, the, the, the fresh water that is to be pouring out of our mouths is the good news of what God has done in his son for you. Because that God who is holy, set apart, completely different, of whom you would be obliterated if you walked into his presence, you couldn't stand before him. Why? Because you've tried to run your own life. You've rebelled against him. You've turned your back on him. And you, without even knowing it potentially, realizing it, have said, I will go the way that I want to go. The Bible says that that is sin. Because God has commanded you to love him with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself. And you haven't done that. And James told us if you break a little bit of the law, you are guilty of the whole thing. You couldn't get to God. And the good news is, is that God has come to you in the person of the Lord Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? Well, he, li he lived the perfect life and he died on the cross. And while he was dying on, on the cross, you know what his words were? It is finished. And that's the words of the son on your life. That the stack of wrath and rebellion that you have stored up for yourself by going your own way, being authentic, right? Has, was placed on him and it was paid for by him. The punishment was taken by him and his words on your life. It is, it is finished. And Paul there in the next chapter, Romans 8, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the words of the Son over your life, it's, it's finished and there's no condemnation. If you're not a Christian, there, Christ has paid for your sin with the sacrifice of himself and there's outside of him nothing but condemnation and wrath and punishment and fury from God. And the, it, I said it's good news. The good news is, is that, that you can turn from your sin hearing these words and make your whole life about the Lord Jesus and he will cleanse your lips, forgive your sin, and make you completely new. That's what he can do. If you are a Christian who's struggling with your words, hear, those, hear that again, right? For anyone, those who are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore no condemnation. So I don't want you to be condemned or feel condemnation because you're sinning with your words. I want you to repent at the hearing of God's word, knowing that you, you, you're blessing he who's Lord, you're under his authority, and he who is the Father, you're in the family. So don't leave here on flat tires, but leave here with the hope that God can do this in your life. Otherwise, why would he even talk about it? He wrote this because you can hear it and you can turn and you can change. You can be different. If you couldn't be different, if there wasn't any hope, there would be no James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. But here it is saying these things ought not be. And here we go responding. It ought not be in me. Let's be committed to that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your scriptures. We, uh, we ask that you would show us a, a, a vision of your glory in which we walk away going, I, I, am, I have unclean lips. I say things all the time that I shouldn't say. I pray that you'd forgive me, that you'd change my heart because what I say is not who I want to be. I pray that right now for me and, for, and, and that others would be praying it too, God, that you would change us, you'd make us different. In Jesus' name, amen.